I would like to uh, invite you to pray with me. Father, we have received blessing upon blessing. We just sang about the gifts that you've poured out with great generosity. Now, Father, as we look into your word, we will explore that some more. We will see more of your great love and your gifts to the children of men. And we pray, Father, that you would be glorified. Father, it's easy for a man to give opinions and ideas that are not yours. And we need your truth, and we need your wisdom, and we need the working of your Holy Spirit. So, I pray for myself, Father, that you would Move me to the background and cause my opinions to not be said. And when I say them, Father, may your spirit cause others not to hear them. And also, Father, I pray for the, those that are hearers, that they would also be doers. That they would be sensitive to the work of your Holy Spirit, and that you would accomplish the work that you want done. And it's your, in your Son's precious name that I pray. With thanksgiving. Amen. I gave you more in your bulletin outline than you might normally get, and I had one delightful person tell me that that was wonderful, and so, um, but that's not to say that what others do is, isn't, okay? It's just who I am. I tend to want to put down what I'm thinking on paper. There's a lot that could be said about this topic of giving. I'm going to talk about some of the things we're not going to talk about just so you'd know in advance what's off the table, but I don't really want to focus on. But I do want us to understand that it's easy to ask questions like, how much does God want me to give? And that's probably not a very good question. probably missing the mark. So as I prepare, as I go into God's Word, I ask myself some questions. See, the problem with that question is that that's about math. In many people's minds, what they want to know is what percentage does God expect? Tell me the number. You know, I can do the math. So if I get 100, is it 10%? So i got to give 10. Tell me what the math is. That's not what this is about. It's more about manner and method, and heart. That's what this message is about. Uh, I hope to communicate what God's heart is about giving. And I'm so thankful for the Apostle Paul because he, he, he frequently talked about this topic in his letters to the churches. He talked to the church in Rome. He talked, in fact, if you read through his writings, you will see that he's very concerned about generous giving, and not just material things. Give of yourself. Give of the spiritual gifts that God has given you. So this is broader than just that box where we put an envelope on Sunday morning. I'd like to start by reading uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at, which is 2 Corinthians 9. And I'm actually going to start in verse 1 but we're going to focus on verses 6 through 15 this morning. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness. Already you can see that they've made some changes in the way they think. Of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. To say nothing of you for being so confident. So, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, 
not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, and he quotes from Psalm 112, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only surpassing the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What an encouraging passage. Now when Jeremy initially asked me if I was available this Sunday to preach, it's amazing God's timing. It, I mean, I shouldn't be amazed. His timing's always amazing each time something happens. I had actually been, the night before, thinking about my own heart attitudes and behaviors related to giving. And I'd been thinking about these passages and so what I'm really doing here this morning is, yes, I'm, I'm called to preach, I'm here to proclaim God's Word, but I'm also sharing with you something that I was studying for my own personal benefit. There was a certain amount of selfishness, you know, hopefully godly selfishness, associated with me studying this and now talking about this with you. Now this, this topic is li likely to uh, cause a number of different reactions. Oh no. He's going to be asking us for money. Well, then you've misunderstood a lot of what I've already said. There, there's going to be no guilt trip. That's not the intention of this message at all. I could do that. I mean, my, my opinions you know, would lead me down that path, but that's not edifying. This passage focuses on the cheerful, generous giver. And you should have seen that in chapter 8, and now also in chapter 9. There's a cheerfulness, a generosity, a joy associated with the giving that Paul is talking about. And that's what we want to explore. So let's, let's talk about briefly what we're not going to talk about. Number one, good works will not save me. Duty givers. And all you have to do is look at the Old Testament to see that people were going through the mechanics of giving, and God was holding his nose and said, I'm tired of these gifts that you're bringing me. These stink. They were following the letter of the law. And you look at these Old Testament passages in Isaiah and 1 Samuel and Hosea 6.6 and Amos 5.22, and you will see very, very clearly that God is not pleased with duty givers. Now, for a long time, I lived my life as a duty giver. And <clears throat> I believe that being dutiful in giving is a good thing. It's a step in the right direction as long as the heart is aligned rightly in responding and knowing that that gift, God doesn't need it. He owns everything. And He's not impressed with my gift. And my gift doesn't earn me anything in terms of His favor. So duty giving is good, but we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about proud givers. The look at me vain givers, um, those that think they're more spiritual because of their giving. That's not the path we're going to go down. We're certainly not going to go down the prosperity gospel path. 
Now, it's clear that God blesses as we show that we can be trusted with His belongings. But not always. There are many people, many Christians in this world that have been very faithful with what God has given them, and they don't live in the nicest house of the poorest person here. So you just can't say that God is going to manifest this prosperity, this materialistic view of giving in a way that is pleasing to us. There are rewards. We'll talk about that, but they have nothing to do with the whole prosperity gospel arena. And we're also not going to talk about secret givers. There's a place for secret giving. But I'm thankful for those who have told their stories about how they gave and how they trusted God in their giving so that I could be encouraged in my giving. So it's, there's a mix here of not being proud in our giving, being humble. And so that doesn't mean, however, always that it has to be very, very secretive. There has to be motive, again, heart issues that are addressed. So, we're going to explore giving that meets a present need, but that has a future element. This is actually related to last week's message. What was last week's message? Do you remember the title of it? It was very unique. Aha, Joseph's bones. And what was unique about that was that Joseph understood that where his bones were buried was not where they were going to stay because God had made a promise about the future, where his citizenship was. And so because of that, he made decisions and gave instructions related to the future. We will explore giving that is characterized by understanding ownership and eternal treasures. In other words, treasures that we have here are not necessarily going to last. But before you give, before I give, we need to very much understand that the gift that we all need, the gift we must have, is the gift of eternal life. The gift of God's forgiveness for our sins. And so we, we can't get past that whenever we approach any portion of God's Word. We have to be thoughtful about the reason that God made us was to have relationship with us. That's what's important. And you cannot have relationship when you are sinful because God is a holy God. But He has given a gift that has made it possible for you to draw close to Him through His Son who shed His blood for me and for you that we might have forgiveness. And I can do nothing to merit it. I can do nothing to work for it. It's a gift, a generous gift, a gift that was given joyfully. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sitting at the Father's right hand. So let's think a little bit about this topic. I put some questions in the outline for, for, uh, just so you'd know what questions I was asking myself. So you may want to jot some things down there. At the end of each one of these sections, I'll give you some of my thoughts about how I would answer some of those questions, but not all of them. So, our example. If God is our Father, then we should want to grow to be more like Him. What is His giving like? What should we learn by His example? What has God given? How does He give? What happens because of the gifts He gives? Are there results from His gifts? When we think about God and His giving, very, very often I think of Christmas and Easter. Because Christmas was He gave His Son. He, he left glory and became a baby so that He could be the Savior. So that He could be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and that leads me to the other hol holiday that we celebrate that reminds us of his gifts, and that is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. He arose, 1 Corinthians 15. We have great hope because he is risen. But he has shown extreme generosity in many other ways. 
So let me read for you some passages of Scripture that tell you about His generosity. Matthew 1, 21. And she shall have a son, and you are to call him Jesus. You are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. First gift, a Savior. Not necessarily the first gift he ever gave, but it was a gift he promised to give back in Genesis. Gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You've been given grace. You didn't deserve grace. You didn't deserve that gift. He gave you. He gave me grace. Most undeserving. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. John 14, 27. He gives us peace. You know how many people that I rub shoulders with in the world that don't have a measure of that? Just read your Facebook posts from non-believing Christians. Non-believing friends. They're not Christians if they're not if they're unbelieving. Although in our world everybody's a Christian or something. You got peace. You got peace that the world doesn't know. That's a gift. Jesus gave us another gift. One of the last gifts He gave before He departed the earth in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses throughout the world. Here, the next province over, and around the world. Acts 1.8. He's given us the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. Not indwelling. Not ever present. What a wonderful gift that we have that we take for granted. A new life. I had an old life. Now granted, it was a long time ago. I just turned 66. I had an old life from birth till about 11-ish. And then, by the grace of God, my parents were saved and we went from a church that told me I was a good kid to a church that told me I was a sinner. And I needed that information I mean, it, it actually was probably pretty obvious to my parents, but it, I was clueless. I thought I was a good kid. I was wrong. Dead wrong. Really bad wrong. I needed a new life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's a gift. I don't have to be the old Wayne I was. I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. What a gift. The, the people out in the world, they don't have that gift. Freedom from bondage and sin. Now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not even a little com condemnation. The, the payment has been made. The debt has been paid in full. There is nothing owed. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You've got the gift of eternal life. You've got the gift of freedom. You've got the gift of peace. It's a marvelous gift. And if that wasn't enough, God isn't distant. We have access and this is the confidence that we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Kids, have you ever asked your parents for something and it's not clear that they are hearing you? And so you ask again, or parents, has it been ever your situation where you've asked your kids to do something and it's obvious they aren't hearing you or listening? God's not that way. God's not like your kids, and God's not like your parents. God hears. He's always available. I wake up sometimes at 3 in the morning. I wake up a lot at times that don't make any sense. But then I'm old, and I'm told that old people have that kind of problem. So what happens sometimes is I'll just pray. 
and God's not interrupted at 3 a.m. Central Standard Time. He's there. He hears. That's so cool. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we ask from Him. Great gift, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And then, He wants us to have His wisdom from His mind based on His pure character. So in James 1, 5, He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. We get generous wisdom from God if we ask. So notice these things about God's giving. It's sacrificial. It wasn't comfortable for Him to give the gift of His Son. It wasn't comfortable for the Son to give His life. It was His best. We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only his one and only Son. It was His best. It was the best that heaven had. It was reality. He knows that when He gives His gift, those that get it have nothing to give back that He needs. He doesn't lack anything. He's perfectly perfect. And if he wants something, being a spirit, he doesn't really need material things, at least as far as I can tell. But if he wanted something, he would just say, I want a Corvette. Make it red. Convertible. 283 Hurst 4-speed. That would be nice. And he would have it. He doesn't lack anything. The reality is we have nothing to offer. His giving involves involvement. His Holy Spirit indwells us. We have access to the Father. And He's attentive. There's no office hours. When I was at UW-Milwaukee, I remember the professor would tell us what his office hours were. That meant, if you come to my office and it's not office hours, I'm not there, even if I'm there. God doesn't have that. His office hours are... 24 by 7, 365, or if it's a leap year, 366 days of the year. His giving involves the spiritual. It's more than the material. It's peace and hope and love. His very attributes are given to us. It's transforming. He changes our lives. And it's generous. God is generous, generous beyond all comprehension. And we didn't even begin to stretch the surface. So this morning we sang in Christ alone. And by the way, I appreciate Mike including that because I asked him to. <clears throat> I love that song. I cannot sing that song enough. When I'm home and I bring up my PC, I go to the Getty website and I click on that song and listen to it. And I try to sing it. I'm not going to punish you that way. The song says, in Christ alone my hope is found. There is no gift or work required of me. He is my light, my strength, my song. This gift includes knowing truth and guidance. It brings joy. This cornerstone, this solid ground, He doesn't change. The gift isn't going to spoil. The gift isn't going to be taken away. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. There's nothing that can destroy or depreciate this gift. Some gifts depreciate. In fact, just about every gift I've ever been given gets worth less over time. The nature of our world. What heights of love, what depths of peace. Love is offered that brings peace and restoration when all hope was lost. When there was no hope, he provided hope. When fears are stilled and striving cease, there is no need to measure up with His gift. Because He's a good Father, He gives good gifts. You don't have to measure up for His good gifts. Sometimes, you know, my, my grandchildren thrill me, and sometimes they annoy me. But you know what? As a grandfather, I still like to give them good gifts. I'm a little bit like God the Father. 
not everywhere I should be yet, but, you know, just by way of illustration. My comforter, my all in all. His gift is comforting. There's a built-in care relationship with His gift. Here in the love of Christ I stand. I have a hard time singing those words because sometimes I choke up when I sing those words. Because that's amazing love. There's no other love required. There's no other gift required. So, in your outline, what has God given? His Son, His Spirit, spiritual gifts, peace, grace, a long-term relationship, access. How does He give? Sacrificially, richly, abundantly. What happens because of the gifts He gives? They transform lives today and forever and ever and ever and ever. And then it flows from one person to the next to the next in amazing ways. So what's the source of our gifts? They're God. Well, that was our example. Now the source. Now this, this section is, is probably about the same length. Okay? Just to set your minds at ease. I'm not a clock watcher when I'm in, out there, but I am when I'm up here. Okay? So I'm, I'm, I recognize there is a clock and that there's a time element with this. When I'm out there, I don't really care. Jeremy can go as long as he wants. Don't tell him I said that. Um, but because I I'm, I'm just want to be fed, right? But I understand that. Now we're going to talk about something in a little depth, and then we're going to have two sections that we go a little more quickly. Who owns what we have? Who receives the thanks, the glory, the praise from what we give? And what do the cheerful, generous gifts that we give remind us of when we give, if we're thinking rightly? Now there is a great misunderstanding. Uh, Dave Ramsey wrote some helpful materials called uh, basically Financial Peace University. And one of the things, I don't agree with Dave Ramsey on everything, okay? But when I lead the class, I don't disagree with what he says because there's a reason that he says it. Having said that, I really appreciate the way he ends the book. And in fact, he starts the book with this thought as well. And that is, God gives you gifts not to make your life more comfortable. Now, your life might be more comfortable. But God gives you resources so that you can give. You are the manager, the steward, the conduit that He uses. And as soon as we recognize that, we've come a long way past a great misconception, which is that the stuff is mine, and it's for me. That is crazy thinking. That is not godly thinking. I've been reading a book called Unshakable Faith, and it's an interesting book in that it's two biographies that intermingle. It's about Booker T. Washington, who was born a slave, and George Washington Carver, who was born a slave. And they understood they were owned. And they also understood that everything they owned, they didn't own. It was the master. And I've appreciated, as I've gone as far as I have thus far in this biography, that their attitude was at a much higher level than mine might have been under similar circumstances. First of all, it would appear that both of them had a genuine faith in God and had put their faith in Christ. That's very encouraging. And that was probably foundational in how they behaved throughout their lives. And their lives were in many cases miserable at various points along the way. They were treated in ways that you and I would just find appalling. Just unacceptable. But they understood the concept of being owned, 
and that nothing they had was theirs. And I think that applies to this section here. In 2 Corinthians 8.5, it says that the people gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, they said, okay, I'm no longer mine. I'm yours. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to Christ. I give myself. When we see Him that way, it changes our view of things. We are no longer the owner. He was extremely rich and He became poor for us. And He is Lord. Notice in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 9, God does not sow sparingly. He anticipates a great harvest. His disciples understood sowing and reaping principles. Generosity is not a loss. It is an investment in things beyond what we currently have, what we can currently see. When I plant tomato seeds, I am expecting one little tiny speck to turn into, within months, in this crazy Wisconsin climate, to a plant that's this tall and be full of fruit. One little seed, because I understand the principle of sowing and reaping. The same is true with giving. Paul reminds his listener, if you sow sparingly, try to keep it, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously. Notice that the owner is appreciated. In 2 Corinthians verses 9 through 2 Corinthians 9 verses 11 through 12, you see that God will be thanked for the gift you give. Now, it's all well and good to be thanked. And, and we taught our children, when you get a gift, you write a thank you note. That's what you should do. That's not optional. Do it. But what's important here is that I don't own it. I'm just the custodian. I'm just the manager for a very short window of time. And so I'm taking what the Father has and I'm giving it to somebody else. So who should get the thanks? The messenger boy? No. The one who gave the gift. God. Notice that God is glorified. The owner is glorified. 2 Corinthians 19. You will understand that God will be glorified because of your confession of the gospel by virtue of your giving. Giving preaches the gospel. Every time we give, we are saying, this is grace. Lots of people get gifts that don't deserve them. You get gifts that you don't deserve. But that exhibits a reminder of God's goodness. 2 Corinthians 9.15 You re-echo your thanks to God for His inexpressible gift of His Son and salvation. In other words, as we give, it should actually be a reminder to me as I give, whether it's in that box or in other means, it should be a reminder to me that I have been given great and wonderful gifts from God. And he's just allowing me to have a small part in that process as well. It's enduring. You realize that what you give lasts longer than what you keep for yourself. Everybody knows uh, the Eliot phrase, right? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You are never a fool to be generous and joyful and cheerful in giving, to give up something you can't keep anyway. Death is common, or taxes. Taxes probably first for most of you. The recipient is worthy of your gift. God doesn't desire your leftovers. He doesn't want leftovers from me. In fact, in Malachi, he challenges the people and says, why don't you give your governor some maimed animals? Give him your second best. Will he be pleased? Now we're talking about the God of the universe. 
shouldn't we be generous and cheerful and giving our best? Not the leftovers. You know, the sad thing is, most of the time when I do Financial Peace University, most of the students have to tell me what their debt is. Now, not in person. They write it on a little scrap of paper. You know, I don't know who they are. If there's enough people in the class, it all gets combined. And what, what's sad is the debt number is really, 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 really big. And they used their resources to buy junk for the most part. I realized that some of it wasn't that's going to be consumed or used up or fall apart or be worthless. But then we get to the giving part, and more often than not, that's a big zero. That says something about our culture. We're willing to go into debt to buy junk, but we're not thinking like God when we do that. I'm going to be changing my budget. Okay? In our budget, we've got a section that's related to giving. That's probably too big. I mean, it kind of depends on your, how my spreadsheet is on the screen. But it can say tithes and offerings. I'm actually going to change the words in our budget. It's going to say eternal treasure. It's, it's more than just tithes and offerings. It's thinking eternally. Which should go, then cause me to go down through the rest of my budget and say, is this eternal? Now, this may be necessary, food, you know. Cindy, Cindy and I like to eat, so we're going to keep food in the budget. And housing. We've got to pay Fitchburg property taxes. That's painful, but it's probably less than most of you pay for your housing, actually. I got a little off track. The recipient is worthy of your gift. God doesn't desire leftovers. And recognition. Most of us actually like recognition. We like to be praised. We like to be told, well done, good job. People go for the Super Bowl ring, the Emmy, the Oscar, the blue ribbon. Jesus says this. This is what the Master wants to say to the good steward, the non-owner, the person that had his resources. He wants to say this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I gave you a little. Gave you some of my resources to manage. You were faithful over that. I will set you over much. Now here's how he ends that. Enter into the joy of your Master. And the good news is, is you can do that today. You can enter into His joy just by thinking carefully about what resources God has given you. And we're going to talk about that in the section in a second. So here's the answers to the bullet points. Who owns what we have? Who wants to venture a, a response? Who owns what we have? God, thank you. Who receives thanks, glory, and recognition from cheerly, cheerful giving? God, thank you. Because it's his. You're just the messenger boy or girl. What do cheerful, generous gifts remind us of each time we give? Well, it should remind us of the generosity of God. Each time we give, we should remember, God gave me this. Not mine. And now I have an opportunity. He asked me to give it generously. And that will bring joy. Opportunities. I'm going to kind of rush through this section a little bit because I'm not going to give you Specific to-dos. In what ways can we practice cheerful generosity? Well, the question might be asked, what needs do you see? What has come across your path that are needs that need to be met? What should be the process then that we take in responding to those needs? So let me give you three thoughts. You need an inventory, you need a plan, and you need action. The first two are helpful. The last one is really key. Inventory. Take an inventory. What has God given you? Has He given you education? 
Has He given you experience? Wisdom? Titus 2, 3-5. through five. This is, These are instructions for older women. I'm not going to tell you what age that is, ladies. Okay. It's older women. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves or given to much wine. They are to be they are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children. So if you have been walking with Christ and you are an older woman, then you need to be teaching younger women and teens what God has given you. Fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If the Lord has disciplined you and instructed you, you are to do that for your children. Spiritual gifts. These are given for the purpose of making you feel better. No, thank you. Spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of usefulness to others. 1 Corinthians 14.12 So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So I ask you, are you using the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift that was given to you for the church? With enthusiasm, generosity, overflowingness so that Mike or Jeremy have to say, whoa, stop. Will you please stop helping? You're, you're going overboard in your help business here. Slow it down a bit. Possessions. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. They have some financial things. They need to be shared. Actually, they're not yours. You don't own them. Wealth. Savings accounts, retirement accounts, brokerage accounts, insurance proceeds, inheritances. And the reason I mentioned that last one is my mom was a good steward. And she gave to ministries all the time. And she even went from a two-bedroom apartment down to a one-bedroom apartment and she said, the reason I'm doing this is, what do I need two bedrooms for? I could give this money to somebody that needs it. She had a vision that was beyond her small universe that she lived in. And then she passed it on, just like the wise man in Proverbs says, a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So I got an inheritance. And let me be transparent. You know what I thought? I thought, whoa. Okay, maybe this lake home that I've always dreamed of having up by Camp Fairwood, maybe this is like what that's for. Just think how I could be such a blessing if I had a lake home up by Camp Fairwood. Lord. And then the Lord put brakes on. And He said, well, guess what? You have to help Cindy with her mom. And you have to help Cindy with her brother. And then I started saying to myself, well, Lord, you know, clearly this would be nutty to follow my natural inclination to buy a lake home right now. You can see the old Wayne rising up a little bit here. So I've been thinking about that, and I saw an email recently from a missionary who shared something about a need that's in a country far away where people live in makeshift dwellings. And I think about the next withdrawal that I make from inheritance that I think, what do I need a lake home for? Would I like a lake home? Yes. If somehow the doors opened up and we got a lake home someday, that would be amazing. But you know what? It would be far more amazing to take what God granted my mother as a temporary custodian, and now he's granted it to me as a temporary custodian to pass it on to somebody else who could be a temporary custodian. Of that. So that's kind of like why I was thinking about this passage of Scripture. Okay? Transparency. So take an inventory. What's your education, your spiritual gifts, your possessions, your wealth? Then create a Spirit-directed plan. And as we were reminded this morning by Abiola in the di- discipleship hour, we should start with prayer. We should pray, God, okay, this is your stuff. This is your money. This is 
your person that you've created in your likeness to be a gospel carrier. What do you want me to do with everything you've given me? And then create a plan. You see needs on Facebook? You get a report or an email from a missionary that says, here's a need. Review your budget. You need to change, like I'm going to change, the heading on the section from giving or tithing to eternal treasure. And determine to downsize and remove the temporal. You know what? We've got a beautiful home, and I, I appreciate it, but we've got way too many closets. And let me just tell you here and now, if you need a tool, you ask me before you buy it. Because i got tools in multiple places from my dad who just couldn't pass up a deal at a rummage sale. Okay? i got enough wrenches and screwdrivers to screw every screw with a different screwdriver, which is nutty. Downsize, remove the temporal. Third, just do it. Here's what James would say. James 4.17 So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. So if God gives you something that He says, I want you to do this. His Holy Spirit is in you. He says things to you. Then when He says do it, you say, here I am. I'll do this. Thank you. Thank you for giving me instruction about your stuff, about the blessings you've given me. Put it on your calendar. Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you create a plan. Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you create an inventory. No. By this all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Before the message this morning, somebody told me that people were generous to a family member and it impacted them. And they don't necessarily know who the generous person was, but it was somebody that understood that what they had wasn't their own. Show your children how you give. Train them. I don't know that I did that as very well as a, as a parent. You'd have to ask Beth. We, you know, we muddled through some of this parental stuff. I'd do it better now, I think. I'd like to think, anyway. If somebody needs your time, give them your time. I got two calls yesterday as I was wrapping up my notes for the sermon. My, you know what the immediate reaction to those calls are? I could see who they were. Okay. My immediate reaction was, I'll let them leave a message. And then I stopped that thought immediately. And I responded to both of them. And they were just both people that needed some of my time. They didn't need more than anything to hear my voice and for me to talk about some things that were important to them. And then put your spiritual gift to work in the church. Do it. Just do it. There are needs all around us in this local body. So there's some questions here, and this is the section where I don't answer any of the questions. The opportunities, you have to answer those questions. Finally, results. And I'm going to hustle through this. What flows from cheerful, generous giving? What can we expect? Identity transformation. Here's what Dave Ramsey says. We don't give because God needs our money. He doesn't. Nor do we give because our church needs our money. We give to become more like Christ. We give to become more like Christ. We are actually transformed when we start to behave like Christ. When we start to have a heart like Christ. When we have the mind of Christ. Another result is that we teach our children and grandchildren some very important lessons about what is important when we give generously. They learn something that's more than just words in Sunday school. Number three, this is an investment. I'm big into investments. 
I'm reasonably successful with investing. But everything is going to vaporize. I'm either going to be taken from it, or it's going to be taken from me, unless I send it ahead. If I invest in eternal things, those things will last. And what lasts forever? People. Their souls forever and ever. I can expect increase. Jesus says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's a long-term benefit. Finally, there's worship that results. We read in this passage, they will glorify God because of your generous gift. People will praise God when we are cheerfully generous. And then there will be thanksgiving. So, you can answer again those questions in your outline on your own. In the bulletin, I put some final notes. But I thought, thought it was instructive. You can read those paragraphs there, but I want to read the passages of Scripture to you. From three people that had a long-term future eternal perspective. Moses, Solomon, and Jesus. Here's what they say. For Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses gave up great wealth that he couldn't hang on to to obtain great wealth that was his forever. Solomon. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to... This is remarkable. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will repay him for his deed. God repays even though you gave something that wasn't yours. It was His. I've never seen an investment like that ever before. That's an amazing investment. To take somebody else's wealth and give it away, and then they reward me for that work. Sign me up for that. And Jesus. And he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Or you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's continue in worship now and sing our final song.